Amen. You can have a seat. You know, half the time when we're singing together, I don't even feel like getting up to preach. Because <laughs> I would rather just keep singing with you guys. Um, that's so powerful, isn't it? To raise our voices and, and sing that together. I mean, the hope that we can feel with each other saying those words in light of what's going on in the world today. So good. Um, I missed something earlier. I want to just quick celebrate um, uh, the ministry hand-to-hand that we're a part of. Um, we're helping feed kids on the weekends. And um, we're all done for the school year. So it's just kind of cool to look back. Uh, we're at, we've been at three schools, um, Wyoming Harbor has, and then Beverly, the former church that met here, uh, has been in one school that we're taking on this next fall. But um, every week for the past you know, 36 weeks of the school year, we were able to feed 206 kids at three different schools um, on the weekends with, with weekend food. And that's, that equals 7,416 bags of food. That's just, that's not items of food, that's bags of food. That's just, I, I'm not saying that to toot the Wyoming horn here. I'm just saying that's really cool that we get to be a part of something that great, that there's opportunity here for us to help meet a need. And the cool thing is, is we don't want to just, I mean, we don't want to just feed more kids to make ourselves feel better, right? The hope is that there would be no hungry kids at all and there'd be no need <laughs> for a program that helps take care of it. So we, we look for those signs. And one of the things that Kim, our hand-to-hand director, told me is that, a teacher told her that she's noticed that there's less kids on Friday afternoons and Monday mornings that are coming to her hungry, which means the food that they get over the weekend is letting them know it's going to be okay. And when they get there, they're fed. I think that's pretty cool. That's something that's worth being a part of. And I just do want to say thank you to all the people that help pull hand to hand off. Um, we moved our pantry uh, from the place that we were at before, the building that we were at before to the gym on the other side of the parking lot here. So this fall, um, I'm hoping to get more people involved in that ministry because it's just so cool to be a part of the body of Christ that way and helping feed kids. So next year we'll be adding, uh, you know, uh, Parkview Elementary School, the, the school that Beverly was doing before we got here. So we'll be feeding close to like 260, 270 kids a weekend. So praise God for that opportunity. Um, one more thing. Uh, the, I want to keep this on your radar. So we are doing Backyard VBS this year again. It's like if you've heard of VBS, it's a vacation Bible school for kids. Uh, a lot of times that happens in a, a building like this. But since COVID happens, um, do you remember that? Um, the, we decided to do it in backyards, and we've actually stuck with it ever since then. So last year, I think we had five different backyards that kids from all over the neighborhoods uh, gathered in. And so we're doing that again this year. So I, I bring it up now to put it on your um, radar for people that are going to send their kids or want to be part of it, but also to look for a couple of host homes, places that might, uh, if you want to open your home up or your whatever you have up to a group of kids and their families coming to hear about Jesus. So my wife and I will be doing ours. Um, She might be just finding out about that right now, but we are, I think. Um, And so I just want to invite you. Yeah, I get myself in trouble real quick, don't I? Um, but thank you for loving me anyways. I really appreciate that. So just put that on your radar. I would love for you to be a part of that if you are interested. Okay, close of announcement time. Does anyone in here watch uh, Stranger Things? I knew the hands would go up real quick for that one. 
so I just watched season four. Has anybody in here not seen season four, but they're an avid fan? Okay, let me tell you what happens. I'm kidding. I won't, I won't spoil it. Um, it's legit. I'll just, I'll just say that. But um, I, uh, yeah, if you don't know what Stranger Thing, Things is, it's a TV show. It's, it's on Netflix, and I love it for a couple reasons. But the main stars in the show are teenagers, and anything that has teenagers that can act like real teenagers on screen. It just always interests me because I love teenagers. I love the sloppiness of what it's like to be a teenager. I feel like a teenager still, so I think I see myself in that a lot. But um, the main plot is actually that, so this isn't a spoiler. If you haven't seen it at all, uh, this, is, this shouldn't be a spoiler, but um, is that there, there's like this other dimension called the upside down that's what the whole thing kind of centers around, this other dimension called the upside down. And it sort of feels like what we might describe as like the spiritual world, but like the dark side of the spiritual world, which is fascinating and a little freaky at the same time um, because the, the upside down looks like the real world. It's just dark and empty and cold and full of all scary creatures. Really great television, um, <laughs> really great stuff. But uh, it's probably the biggest TV show out right now. And I'm not going to subscribe it to you if you don't like scary stuff because this will maybe keep you up at night. Um, but it's fascinating to me how people, I guess myself included, are fascinated by the idea of the spiritual world, like the upside down. The thing that's like all around us that we know exists, we feel exists, but we can't necessarily see and touch. Um, and so, when it, when it, especially when it comes to dark stuff like that, right? So shows like that really do make you wonder what's, like, what's on the other side of this physical life that we're all a part of. And um, if there is one, what does that look like? And, of course, we're here today as a group of people uh, centering ourselves around Jesus. Um, we do believe that there is a spiritual reality layered over top, behind, underneath, before and after uh, this physical life. Um, and as much as I love uh, Stranger Things and Star Wars and anything like that that kind of hints at that, or not even hints at that, that talks about like what that other thing is, it, it definitely is interesting to me, but, but we don't necessarily draw our, as Christians, don't necessarily draw our conclusions, our ideas about what that spiritual realm looks like from those shows, they can create some curiosity, but we, we draw it from the Bible. We draw it from the words of Jesus, of our ideas of what that like world beneath might look like. So we gather our, our ideas and theological ideas, particularly from the stories of Jesus. And today is the fifth part of a series we've been, if you're brand new today, We've been uh, going through the book of Matthew, uh, verse by verse, um, as well as we can. Uh, and we're doing that for the, the course of a year. Do I look like I'm struggling up here? That's just being, that's me being ADD. So if you're new, you're like, this dude is weird. Um, yes, I know, thank you, and I love you too. Um, but we've been going through Matthew, and then like, there's shifts within that story that really lend itself to us taking like a mini-series look at things. So we've, uh, this is the fifth week of a series we've been calling Bad Theology, um, which centers a lot around that like dark, scary stuff. And today I think really kind of culminates the whole story. Um, and so we're going to pray and jump in to the message. So let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for the opportunity, um, as I've alluded to a hundred times already, that uh, you would allow and call a weird guy like me to get to speak your word. As I prayed uh, with you earlier this morning, Lord, I I pray that you'll be up here um, with me, speaking through me, and that what what I have to say um, won't be original, but that it would just point to the reality that you revealed to us. And that we actually don't need to be afraid of that one bit because you have overcome, you've got the victory. So as we go, I pray that you'll inspire and um, speak to the hearts of the people that are here. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 12, uh, we're going to go through verse 20, or yeah, Matthew 12, verse 22 through 40. We're going to go through most of those verses. So I'll start in verse uh, 22. It says this, Jesus, or excuse me, then they brought him, so brought Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him. Which is always so not, like, non, feels so nonchalant when we read stuff like that, right? Like, oh yeah, Jesus just healed a demon-possessed person who was blind and mute. Yeah, no big deal. Moving on. Like, that's a huge deal, right? If we believe these stories are real, then it's a huge deal. Uh, so Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Praise God. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? So they're looking for a king, these Jew, the Jewish community. They're looking for a savior. And they're wondering, is this the one? Because of these signs that he's performing for these people. But, verse 24, when the Pharisees, you've heard about them a lot the last couple of weeks. When they heard this, they said, it is by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, which is another way to say it's by Satan, that this fellow drives out demons. So everything that Jesus says in the next sections that I'm going to cover is essentially a response to what they just said, to that claim. That they were saying, Jesus can only heal people, he can only perform these miracles because Satan is giving him the power to do so. So Jesus is responding to the Pharisees who were hard-hearted in They were well-intended but hard-hearted in their legalistic traditions that they'd missed who this healer was, who this compassionate and merciful Savior was. So I'm going to share four truths. And I'll admit, it was difficult to to find the the way to just kind of bring it down to a couple of things in this passage because it says a lot. But I think there's four things as I go forward here that we can hold on to. Um, So let's read Jesus' response. So if they just said it's only by uh, Satan that he's able to um, cast out the demons, verse 25 says this. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So there, there was such a thing um, even before Jesus as rabbis and uh, the religious people in the Jewish community that they would like, they would ex exercise exorcist what is that they perform an exorcism i guess it's it's strange for us because we don't see these things very often today in today's world in america for sure other places you do but um he's 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 calling them out like okay if you guys are saying i am using the like 
dark powers of Satan, like, how are you doing it then? He's, he's just kind of basic logic here, right? says, uh, so then they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God, so he's like defining it here, right? If, if it's by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus mentions um, Satan here and demons are mentioned. This idea of like, the dark side, the upside down, the mention of like evil spirits. And we don't always, we don't always park it at that. But as I wrestled with this, I mean, there's no way to avoid it because that is what this story is about. I think we need to, um, to lean in and, and draw some of our theological ideas from Jesus as he identified that there is such a thing as a, a dark side. And there are forms of evil in the non-physical, spiritual realm. So just by even like engaging in that conversation and by Jesus performing or casting out demons, Jesus is acknowledging that there is a spiritual darkness that does exist. I think that's worth just identifying that together, that there is a spiritual darkness that does exist. Like I said, Jesus is, he's like using simple logic here that Satan wouldn't build his evil kingdom against itself. He's like, guys, if I were Satan, why would I put, why would I cast out demons that I put there in the first place? Or, how do you guys do it anyway? So Jesus, he's, he's calling out kind of this ridiculous idea that he would be using dark powers to do a good thing, which is, I think, one of the primary issues here. But be- before that, like, we just got to acknowledge that if Jesus is talking about this in these terms, and he does many other places in the Gospels, there must be a reality of darkness that does exist. We don't dwell on that that much here because that doesn't work, that doesn't have hold over us. So I'm not saying we're going to shift gears and, and be a uh, turn and burn type joint here, but I'm saying it's important. It's important for us to identify that if Jesus speaks about this and often that there is some form of serious darkness in the spiritual worm, worm, not worm. Maybe there's worms there. I don't know. There is in the upside down. Lots of weird wormy stuff there. Um, let's continue though. Jesus says this, or again. So again, he's talking about like the house that he's talking about here is like the house of your soul. Okay. So he says, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties the strong man up? Then he can plunder his house. So what Jesus is doing is he's talking about like, how could I cast out the demon that he just did for this, this guy a little bit ago um, without, like, tying up the devil and hog-tying him and, and getting rid of the problem, essentially. So Jesus, he's referring back to a prophecy. Drink a piece of coffee. Piece of coffee. Drink some coffee right now. I know I'm going fast. I told you you need it. If you need it, stick up the coffee. Go for it. Uh, Jesus here is referring back to this house picture. 
uh, Isaiah 49, verse 24 and 25, which says this about Jesus. It's predicting what he would be like. It says, can plunder be taken from warriors or captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children. I will save. Jesus is describing what he did by casting out a demon from a person. He's describing what he did by resisting the temptation of the devil. Jesus entered the house, so to speak, overpowered the the darkness within. And that's what Jesus is pointing back to. He drove out a demon, an unwelcomed resident, we're told, that was in this story. So why did Jesus do that? He did it to recapture the hearts that has been controlled by darkness, controlled by Satan. But the cool thing is, is he paints a picture of himself entering into a home and tying up the devil. So the second truth I think is worth bringing with us here is that Jesus defeats spiritual darkness. That it's a real thing, but Jesus defeats it. In other parts of scripture, Jesus says that the thief, referring to Satan and darkness, uh, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that he came that we might have life and life to the full. Jesus came to destroy the work of an enemy, the dark and evil forces that work against us. It sounds weird to even talk like that. I get it. Like, am I talking about Lord of the Rings right now? But I believe Jesus is who he said he was. I really do. And sometimes he speaks in parables. We'll talk about that next week. But I don't think this is one of those times. I think he's kind of pulling the curtain back a little bit for us. And it's worth parking on. So Jesus puts it in, in terms that are easier for us to understand. That Jesus came into the house of our souls to disarm the strong and evil forces that take hold of us. And I want to give you this, this third truth before I read the, the text that supports it. Which again, might be worth taking a sip of coffee for a minute here. But Jesus in the next section reminds us that it matters who we believe Jesus is. Listen to what Jesus says. Having just described his work at disarming Satan... He then makes us personal and and says this, verse 30. Whoever is not against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And this next verse, this is is probably one of the hardest verses in the Bible if you don't understand it. So I'm going to do my best to like relieve some of the tension that you'll feel after I read it. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander will be forgiven, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. 
Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. So anybody who speaks against Jesus will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the next. Remember, he's talking to these people that just said they saw it happen and, and just said that it was by the, the devil that Jesus performed uh, these miracles. But this, this verse for, for Christians for centuries is scary for people. What, is, what does Jesus mean there, right? Aren't we taught that there's nothing you can ever do, nothing you can ever say that um, couldn't be unforgiven or couldn't be forgiven? I, I do believe that's true. I mean, so much of Scripture speaks to that, right? That it doesn't matter what you've done. If you turn your face to God and admit our brokenness and sin, that we need him, that, that God is faithful and that he won't deny us. But, but I just want to offer some, some reassurance here a minute because I know some of you have probably read this verse before and you're like, I'm just going to move on quick because I don't understand it and it kinda, the idea kind of freaks me out. Because honestly, don't you naturally always kind of feel not good enough? And if you've done enough stuff in your life, like I have, you might hang on to the mistakes of your past and go, no, God could never forgive me of that. So when we, when we read something like that, that could make you go to a, a dark and scary place. But I think, I think what Jesus is saying here is a little different than we think it is. I just want to say in Mark's version of this story, because um, there's a, multiple accounts, he concludes that uh, they, the Pharisees, were saying that Jesus has an unclean spirit. That's what they were saying about, like, saying he was the devil doing these miracles. Which is another way to say who you claim Jesus to be is the primary issue. So listen. If you're worried that you may have done this, that you may have blasphemed the spirit, or you may have uh, committed the, what it says there, right? The unforgivable sin. I think, and it, there, there's mystery around it, but I think uh, it's, it's my conviction that if, if you have any worry within you, if you've done it, you probably haven't. I think that still means the Holy Spirit is probably working in you. And God's not done with you. And listen, in also in Mark's account, right before this story, so Mark is another testimony about Jesus. Um, just before this story in his version of it, Jesus' own family members tried to stop him from doing the types of things he was doing. And they said that he was out of his mind. Jesus' own family thought that he was out of his mind. One of those family members, Jesus' brother named James, wrote part of the Bible. If one of the authors of the Bible at one point thought that, he that Jesus was out of his mind and yet still wrote part of the Bible, I think you are okay if you have had doubts about Jesus. If his own family members thought he was crazy for a little bit, you can be assured that your soul is safe with Jesus. But the religious leaders wanted Jesus to show them another sign. That was part of the issue. They kept pushing 
Jesus because they wanted him to do it to do it their way. They, they kept tr- treating Jesus like Burger King. They wanted to have it your way, Jesus, right? He does something fascinating here next. Verse 38. Check out his reply. He says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And now he's like foreshadowing actually here with what he says next. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is pointing to his death and resurrection that would come from the dead as the ultimate sign and the ultimate miracle to show who he is. Jesus casts out demons, we're told. He performed miracles. He associated with people that others in society thought were the scum of the earth. He had compassion and mercy. And he looked death straight in the eyes and took back the keys of life. So truth number four, the last one, is that Jesus is our victory. Death itself, the scariest part of our thoughts about the upside down, death itself could not hold Jesus down. So sometimes we get scared about what the darkness of this world could look like, but Jesus has overcome that for us. One of my favorite ways that this is described is in Colossians uh, chapter two, it says this, when you were dead in your sins and uncircumcision of, of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Hold on to that one. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. One of my favorites right there. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Whatever shame you have, whatever fear you have, whatever thing you think disqualifies or distances you from the love of God, I think it's saying here that he takes that, forgives you, and nails it to the cross. You don't have to carry it with you anymore. Jesus is our victory. He not only is the defeater of darkness, this thing that is a real thing, but he also is our protector, our defender, our help in time of need. He's our hope as we face all forms of darkness. Is anybody facing any darkness right now that just sucks? Do you see an increasing amount of it in your life? There's power in the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, demons flee because they know who God is and they shudder. Jesus' brother says that. They shudder. They know who God is and they shudder. At the name of Jesus, we who were condemned by the darkness of sin, we are set free. In the name of Jesus, every knee 
will bow one day. All people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will center around King Jesus, the King of the universe, because he has overcome the brokenness of this world, and he gives us light and life. There is power in the name of Jesus over all of darkness to give us comfort and hope. John says, greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. If you think about dark stuff, whether it's physical or non-physical, guess what? Jesus is more powerful than that. And when it comes to the big story that's being written, when it comes to stuff like this, where it's like, that's scary, that dark stuff, Jesus wins. We sing about it every week. I mean, listen to the words of the songs that we speak. It's talking about the victory of Jesus. And sometimes it's hard to believe, isn't it? The, the cycles of sin and brokenness in this world that just keep on happening. Stuff that I think we get to beautifully combat by having a black party in the parking lot where all people are just together. That's what we hope to continue to see here. The message to the world that we can unify around Jesus who has won. And he has victory over darkness. So don't be afraid. You don't have to. You've got Jesus' name. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are safe. So we're going to finish the sermon actually today um, by taking communion together. And this is a practice that has so many different applications, but it reminds us that Jesus has won the victory over darkness. Christians for thousands of years have been visiting this table that uh, the night of Jesus' betrayal, he, he gave this symbol to his followers. And here we are, over 2,000 years later, doing the same thing. That's just cool. Celebrating that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate victory to the big story that's happening. And praise God, we get to see glimpses of it. We get to see glimpses of it in this room. But the Apostle Paul says it this way when he describes that night where Jesus gave us this sacrament to celebrate. He says, For what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you. The Lord, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let me pray, and we'll thank God for that before we come forward. Father, thank you for sending Jesus, for having a mission to redeem and bring us back home. And we, we, love, we love the idea of coming home, but sometimes it's, we, need to, we need to pull the curtain back and just read what, what Jesus talked about with precisely what it was that he did, overcoming darkness. Oh my goodness. And the way that he did it was by participating in our suffering. If anybody knows what it's like to experience pain, it's Jesus. And he even asked why on that, 
the moment he was on the cross, why, Father, have you forsaken us? We are in good company when in our struggle we sometimes wonder why. And we wonder where you are. But you know what? You, you gave your son and he has a name and it's Jesus. And we can't find any other hope that's greater than that. We believe that he, he is who he says he is. And he did who he, what he said he did. And he will do, praise God, what he said he will do. Light will win in the name of Jesus. So Lord, we come to the table today to join the billions of Christians throughout human history now that place their hope in that in spite of the darkness that surrounds us. We trust in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the table is set, my friends. Um, here's how we do it. Um, we'll do both options. <laughs> Messy is okay. Uh, you can come forward when you're ready, um, if you want. And I'm just going to say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, regardless of your background or whatever, come forward. And if you want to believe in Jesus, if something within you just wants to, come on. You don't need to sign a paper. <laughs> I think it's good enough that you want to, because sometimes that might be all you have. And we want to be a place that's got our arms open as wide as we believe Jesus does. So you can come forward and take off a piece and dip it, or you can take this little plastic thing and uh, the wafers up there. Um, I think it's cool to just give you guys the freedom to do this however you want. Um, you can come up with whoever you're sitting with, find a corner and do it together. Or you can take the bread uh, up front here when you get up here. But come, the table is set and it represents the victory of Jesus over darkness.